Mixed trade in the soy complex, but soybeans did find a way to hold on to modest gains through the close. That helped corn close slightly higher and wheat close above session lows. Live cattle and lean hogs were lower, but feeder cattle accelerated the move to the upside. Live from the birth of the $5 bill via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Jake Handley from Tucrium ETF. Later, it's Kerry Artak from ArtakAdvisory.com. And directly following the news, Jack Scoville from the Price Futures Group. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. Okay, I think this could go a couple of different directions. Okay. Um... It is February 12th. We're knocking on the door, mm-hmm. knocking on the door of a three-day President's Day weekend. Yes. So is is it is it Abraham Lincoln's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Lincoln birthday? Today. Lincoln, February 12th. That's right. Okay. That's right. All right. All right. See, I can decipher your, your fivers. Well, and by the way, uh, yeah. with President's Day coming up, I would just send out a friendly reminder. Have you checked your horse's feet lately? Have you in need of a trim at all? Perhaps. Friendly are reminder. You, are, are you going back in time? Is that what you're doing? I don't know if I'm going back in time or if I've just been sitting still all these years. You know, it's hard to tell. Uh, oh, boy. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. That is Davis. Glad mm. that you are with us on this Monday afternoon. We're going to have a conversation with Jake Hanley. From Tucrium ETFs, it, it's been it's been almost a year since we have had someone from Tucrium. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of times we have uh, Sal Gilberte on. Um, oh, Sal, yeah, yep. Uh, but we need to get an update on what is happening with the ETFs. We talk about how the the specs, the funds, have loaded up on the short side of the market. Well. What's that doing to the ETFs? And, and what what are the people that trade the ETFs? What are they looking at on a regular basis? So we'll get a we'll, yeah. we'll get a download from Jake on what is happening with the ETFs. So looking forward to that. There's a Bitcoin right. ETF now, isn't there? Is it is it Bitcoin or is it just a, a broader crypto ETF maybe that's I available now? I, I think it's a Bitcoin. Yeah. I wonder if he can help us with that. I still don't get it. Yeah, I well, either do I. Either do I. Wheat futures were on the defensive for much of the session, but front month soft red winter wheat futures did come back to close fractionally higher. The contract posted an inside trading day with a mid range open and uh, clo- and traded on both sides of unchanged for the fourteenth time in the last sixteen sessions. Export inspections of wheat weekend at February eight totaled just over four hundred seven thousand metric tons, in line with trade expectations. Reports that countries neighboring Ukraine are beginning to increase checks on grain entering their country suggests Ukraine could have more difficulty exporting via alternative routes in the months ahead. March HRW wheat features two and three quarters lower, 598 and three quarters. March SRW wheat up three quarters of one cent to 597 and one half. March spring wheat closed at 682 and a half, down one and three quarters cents. Chip, a lot of talk uh, just today about uh, inspecting this Ukrainian grain. Are they, is it quality concerns? What are we talking about here? I think the concern is that Ukrainian grain is coming in and and kind of, you know, hurting their markets. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's got anything to do with quality and reality. Yeah. 
it, it's just that it's disrupting their markets, and mm-hmm. so they're gonna they're gonna stick some roadblocks up in front of it. Yeah. Well, corn futures opened higher and fell back to post a new contract low, and then rallied to close just above the opening range. Export inspections of corn weekend at February eighth totaled eight hundred eighty thousand metric tons. That was at the high end of expectations. The Brazilian bean harvest is speeding forward, which means planting of the safrina crop is also rolling along. AgriRal increased its estimate of second crop corn production by nearly 5 million metric tons, Chip. That's due to evidence that farmers are planting more acres than initially estimated. Safrina corn crop plantings are already estimated to be 38% complete. March corn futures were a penny and a half higher for 30 and one half. May corn up a penny, 442 and a half. July corn futures closed at 452 and one quarter. That's up one and one half cents, Chip. A higher Brazilian corn crop estimate. I think that kind of falls into the category of, uh, and now for something completely different. <laughs> it, 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 we all we've been talking about is reasons that that Brazilian crop is getting smaller, and yeah. here comes Agrial saying they're yeah. getting the bean crop off, they're planting the the corn crop in a hurry. So watch out, they're going to plant some more acres. March soybean futures opened near session lows today and closed high range while posting an inside trading day. March beans for a second consecutive session failed to trade above 12 bucks. The Brazilian bean crop harvest reportedly 23% as of uh, Thursday. That's the second fastest harvest pace on record. Agrarel says more than half of the bean crop in Mato Grosso has been harvested. Soybean export inspections totaled 1.33 million metric tons. That was at the high end of trade expectations. Soybean meal futures ended higher, but were well off session highs. And bean oil traded lower throughout the session. March beans nine and one half cents higher at 11.93. May beans up seven and three quarter cents, 11.97 and three quarters. July closed at 12.07 and one half. That's up seven and three quarter cents. Bean oil still on our mind. Yeah, Chip. yeah. March contract down 36 points today. The March meal was up $2.10. Well, March cotton was 125 points lower today at 19.53. On your livestocks, April fat cattle opened slightly lower, rallied to spike resistance at Friday's high then. Turned down to close near session lows. April fat cattle, 80 cents lower, 185.92 and a half. March feeders, 167 and one half higher, 248.82 and a half. And here's your April lean hog future contract, two and a half cents lower, 81.12 and a half. Chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Let's bring in Jack Scoville, Price Futures Group. How you doing, Jack? Hey, doing great. Beautiful day here in Chicago. Lots of yep. sun. Kind of yep. chilly out, but that's okay. It's still February after all. Darn right. So, uh, but things are looking all right. Yeah, good, good. Uh, things are looking pretty good down in Brazil with the pace of that bean harvest, too. Well, it's kind of a, yeah, it is. Uh, the harvest is coming off with all due speed, and uh, that's a that's a good thing on one side. On the other side, um, it's a bad thing. It's uh, If you want to get your corn on, you're getting that chance because of the beans being, um, mm-hmm. uh, beans being picked up fast. But I think it's also an indication of how low the yields have actually been in the beans. There's just not a lot of beans to harvest down there, so uh, the harvest is going faster. Wow. So the number that we got from USDA last week, 156, I don't think anybody's really in the private sector is in line with that. It's it's sub 150 million metric tons on the Brazilian bean crop, right? I think so. I've been thinking that for a while. My best guy says it's about 147. 
and he's been that way for for a couple of months and um I generally trust him he might not be the you know exactly dead on but he's got it in the right direction I think okay. and uh, you know a lot of a lot of sources uh you know ag resource brazil's down below that yeah. so a lot of people are down below well below 150 and I don't think anybody's believing that USDA estimate but you know it it also caused USDA to uh lower our export uh uh, number and increase ending stocks. So I think it was a terrible number, and I, I'm really kind of uh, upset about it. And I think yep. uh, we're going to feel that repercussion for a while. Yep, yep. We'll be digesting it for a while. There's no question about it. All right, Jack. Good stuff, buddy. Thanks. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Take next Monday off. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got Jake Hanley next. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. chickens have come home to roost find out whose fence they're perched on today on agritalk welcome back to agritalk i'm chip glad that you are with us on a monday afternoon we uh from time to time we take a look at the markets from a little bit of a different perspective and that being the perspective of the etfs and tucrium ETFs in particular. Jake Hanley is uh, with Tucrium and he joins us right now. Jake, it is great to talk with you, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, Chip. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, hello to the handsome newsman himself. Yeah. Uh, hello. Mr. Hello, sir. Yeah. 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 You know, Jake, uh, Jake was saying just last week that he, well, while he feels, you know, good about coming on the show, uh, your handsomeness does kind of intimidate him just a little bit there, Davis. You know what else is intimidating? Uh, the season that Harrison Butker has had 15 of 15 on field goals over 40 yards. I mean, 15 of 15 over 40 yards. I don't know, I'm even sure I could kick a ball 40 yards. Um, that is, that I is am, pretty intimidating. Davis, Davis I yes. am really sure that you cannot kick a ball 40 yards. You're on, mister. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> oh man. Get the get the phone out. Hit record. I gotta see this. Done deal, baby. I gotta tell you guys, I, I'm intimidated by Davis's sports knowledge. You know, I, it didn't always used to be this way. I mean, this is no, it didn't. something else. It's yeah. been a, it's been a struggle, but uh yeah, I'm I'm here now. I appreciate you noticing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It it it's been uh, it's been enjoyable bringing him along and yeah he's just easier to talk to now. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh man, how is life with the ETFs right now, Jake? These markets have got to. Uh, uh, what's the level of interest? Yeah, you know I can feel feel the pain of a producer out there who's got some uh, grain in the bin unsold. Um, because the level of interest right now in ETFs, I think, is is reflected on the the big board futures prices as well. 
Um, you know, we've been in a in a very very well defined downtrend uh, since the highs of of 2022. That's that's no secret. And uh, the ETF investors are mostly for for our most uh, commonly known ETFs are looking at that trend and and betting on the momentum to continue. Um, and so we've seen, you know, sales coming out of the ETFs. Uh, and for, for anybody who doesn't know what an ETF is, basically what we do is buy corn uh, futures in our corn ETF. We buy soybean futures in our soybean ETF and wheat futures in our wheat ETF. And we're providing long only exposure to those markets through those ETFs. ETF stands for exchange traded fund. And so this is for anyone who wants to participate in the price uh, of the futures, but doesn't uh, want to trade the futures themselves. They can trade these right. exchange traded funds in a brokerage account. And so because we're, we're owning the futures, um, you know, the price of the ETFs reflects the price of the futures. And when prices go down, uh, it makes sense for people not to be long. And right. so we've, we've seen selling and uh, it's continued to start the year here. Yeah. Yeah. So the the thing that interests me about ETFs and one of the things that got me thinking about about you and Sal uh was have you noticed do the ETFs front run or do they lag moves in futures is is there any indication of that as far as as interest goes from time to time, we'll see a trade that makes us scratch our head, right? We say, well, that's interesting. There's some buying interest coming in right now. Why is that? Um, and and most famously, we saw that, and I, I say famous among the small circle of the 10 people that work at Tucrium. Okay. <laughs> we, we always look back to June of 2020, when all of a sudden we saw a big uh, jump in corn ETF interest. And it was right around the time grain prices in general uh, started to to rebound in that summer of 2020. Um, and we did some digging and we saw that there is a, uh, a gentleman who runs a company called Hedgeye. Uh, if anybody out there is, is a trader and trading their own brokerage account, they might be familiar with Hedgeye. And Keith McCullough put out um, a buy recommendation on the corn ETF. Uh, and okay. he did that because he's, he's using ETFs himself instead of trading the futures. And so... Uh, that was a, a point where we're scratching our head going, really, people are starting to get long right now. Um, you know, that was that was interesting. So yeah. watching the volume on the ETF worked. Well, uh, and I will say, again, you know, look, look at the, the futures because the futures pricing, if, um, if you see open interest jump and you're seeing volume and, and so yeah. forth. Uh, and listen to AgriTalk too. There's some pretty smart people on AgriTalk <laughs> who can give you a clue as to what's coming on. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was one example of, of that scenario. That's good. That's good. That's a great example. Uh, yeah. What are the big things? What are what uh, what's got your attention in the markets right now, Jake? Uh, you know, I think like everyone, it's it's wondering what's going to shake out the shorts and and turn things around here. And you know, I'll tell you from a big picture perspective, we talk to folks who aren't necessarily intimately familiar with the gray markets, and, and we try to boil it down to a simple construct, and we call that the golden grain cycle. Okay, and there's three stages to the golden grain cycle, and it's very simple. Stage one is when prices trade at or near the cost of production. Stage two is when there's a supply demand imbalance of some sort and prices spike. 
Okay, we saw that recently. And then stage three is when production increases and supplies rebuild and prices come back down. And so we have been in stage three for the better part of 18 months now. The prices are yeah. coming back down toward the cost of production. And you can look at you know any any long-term continuation chart. We use corn, for example. Uh, you know, between 2016 and 2020, actually between 2014 and 2020, you had six years where prices basically just fluctuated around that three dollar and fifty cent level. Mm -hmm. right? That was roughly what we would call the futures equivalent cost of production. And they moved sideways for an extended period of time. So so that's stage one. And so we think because we're in stage three right now and the cycle's about to start again, that some point, at some point in 2024, we should see prices settle down and begin trading uh, sideways in, in a relative pattern around yeah. the cost of production. Um, right. And then and then we still need that catalyst to create a supply and demand imbalance or, or some concerns, point. Uh, whether they materialize or not. And so I have some ideas of what that could be, but I just wanted to put that structure out there for, yeah. for anyone. Um, it's a great point. Great point. You know, and the thing is, right now, we've still got a trend in corn that is down. Uh, yes. We're still making new contract lows. We need to go through a period of time, as you just very well explained, we need to go through a period of time where maybe we're not making contract lows, but we're just basing for an extended period of time. That, And that can take, that can take months before yeah, it, the it demand sure finally can. comes back in. It sure can. Or, you know, it... <laughs> We talk about the, the short interest in the futures markets right now. I mean, last time we were around these levels, I believe it was in 2019. And 2019 wasn't a breakout year for corn futures, okay? But we had uh, excessive flooding. It, you know, I, I, I almost certainly got hit uh, in, in that. And so in 2019, we had a weather event that caused concern about production, right? So it, it's not necessarily that you need to have a, a production issue materialize, um, but you need to have the market pricing in that uncertainty. And so yeah. you might get that into the summer months seasonally. Okay. And I think this is important right now because uh, the hedge fund managers that are short certainly know the seasonals. Seasonally, corn and soybeans, uh, historically, and past performance doesn't guarantee future results. We always have to point that out. Uh, but historically, between February and June has been a strong calendar season for corn and soybean prices. Yes. And, I, and I'm sure most of your audience knows that, but that is the type of catalyst that could uh, spook these shorts, especially if somebody decides to start covering and take profits. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, getting, getting them to, to cover shorts and take profits is one thing. Jake, I just want them to stop selling. <laughs> that would be nice. I thought you were going to say, you know, making them go net long is a whole nother thing, uh, which, <laughs> you know, is, is again, maybe asking too much. Right. But yeah, uh, th that's the next step, you know, Chip, that, that we would like to see, because that would mean folks would likely be coming back into uh, being long on the ETFs. And, and there are some things that could bring that about. I think you had, um, what was it on Friday, Jody Lawrence on yeah. um, speaking about uh, soybean crush facilities. Yep. Boy, oh boy, you know, running the math based on his numbers, which he says is conservative. Uh, you know, I started to look at the corn balance sheet in, in acreage. Mm -hmm. Say, well, okay, if if we need to to crush, um, you know, fifty thousand soybean bushels a day across thirty plants and three hundred operating days a year, 
my math, and, and I had to take off my shoes for this, so tell me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but there's 450 million bushels of beans. Right. So we're going to have to take some acreage from corn. Now, that could be a fundamental shift for the corn balance sheet in the not too far future. So, right. That's right. Yep. Jake, great stuff so far. I want to. I want to talk to you about what all of this means for the outlook for corn, soybeans, wheat into 2024. Let's do that next. Jake Hanley from Tucrit. Let's go to the markets page at profarmer.com and check today's closes where March hard red winter wheat futures were two and three quarters cents lower at 598 and three quarters. March soft red wheat up three quarters of one cent to 597 and one half. March corn futures were one penny and one half higher, 430 and one half. May corn up a penny, 442 and one half. March soybean futures were nine and one half cents higher today, 1193. May beans up seven and three quarter cents to 1197 and three quarters. March cotton, 125 points lower today, 1953 at the close. On the livestock side, April fat cattle, 80 cents lower, 185.92 and a half. March feeder futures a buck sixty-seven and one half higher at two forty-eight eighty-two and one half. And April lean hog futures two and one half cents lower today, eighty-one twelve and a half. Get more market news every market day. Try profarmer.com. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Welcome back. I'm Chip. Glad that you're with us. We are in the middle of a conversation with Jake Hanley from Tucrium ETFs. Uh, we, we've talked about kind of the current state of the markets and, and kind of what has gotten us to where we're at today. Uh, we are in that third phase of the golden grain cycle, uh, which is we've got a, a hefty supply. Prices are down. We're trying to build demand. So, Jake, when you when you take in everything, that that you guys look at on a daily basis what what does that outlook for 2024 look like and and i think you probably need to do kind of corn and beans at the same time here don't you i i think that's right chip yeah. you know um the, the fundamentals on the the global perspective on the global balance sheets uh we see both corn and soybeans stocks use ratio again on a global basis growing um, and, and by the way, even if you take the lowest end of the South American analysts that we see for Brazil, okay. Uh, yeah. you get 149 with Conab, for example, maybe not the lowest end, but 149, uh, that still doesn't really disrupt the global situation. Nope. Nope. And so I, I think that 
that fundamentally is is the issue here for for these grains. Now, domestically, it's it's different, right? It's tight uh, in the soybean market. Corn stocks use, of course, is you know up towards fifteen percent right now domestically based on the current USDA projections. Um, but yeah, that's the fundamental situation, as you said. We have we have enough. We're really close to having plenty, and I think the market is is trading plenty right now. Right. Um, and so that's that's the supply scenario on the demand side of things. You know, we look again, big picture usage is is going up and, and on a global basis, Chip. OK, so usage is continuing to climb. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that from time to time, production misses. There's a misfire, right? Mm -hmm. And production fails to keep up with that growth in usage. We do a, a study going all the way back to 1960 and uh Every year is either a record for global grain consumption, or it's the second best ever, right? Followed okay. by another record the next year. So yeah. usage just keeps going up, 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 up. And, and so that's really important to understand. We can talk about demand, but demand is good. And so what is going to have to happen for prices to uh, move higher again is, as I believe there's going to have to be a, dis a supply disruption, Right. Either because of weather, you know, and we got excited a little bit about, you know, the weather in Brazil. And I think we had good reason to. But mm -hmm. again, it's not making as big of a dent as would uh, we'd like to see for prices to fire. But weather in the United States for the rest of the year. OK, um, there's no nothing in the ground yet. Right. It's only the middle of February. And so is the 2024, 25 crop year going to be a year where the U.S. Uh, faces some weather challenges? Maybe. Uh, we see yeah. NOAA coming out now and saying that there is a 50% likelihood we transition back to a La Nina in the middle of the summer here. Right. Okay? right. And the timing of that could have some implications and, and create some some dry weather in, in key growing areas. Uh, but really, for the rest of 2024, Chip, I, I think that our base case is, is pretty solid. We're likely to see prices eventually settle near the cost of production. It's when you get into 25, 26 where there's some potential for weather disruptions. Um, again, if La Nina is extended, boy, oh boy, imagine if you, you knock 50% off of Argentina's soybean production again. Right. right. Or we get that unfortunate drought that we had uh, in, in the U.S. tied to a La Nina phase again. Right. Um, those types of things, I think, would would hurt production and, and, help, and help prices. Right, right. You know, we look at a year ago, and we talked about it this morning, Davis and I did just briefly uh, we, we uh, you look back at 2023 we had a record corn yield had a bean yield that was better than what anybody expected and I'll be honest with you it was one of those years that I thought when we got the combines rolling because of the rainfall patterns I thought we were going to hear it's worse than expected not better than expected mm -hmm. and we look at, at some of the some of the, you know, just extra issues that we had to deal with this last year. And the first thing I'm going to point at is the smoke coming out of Canada. Mm -hmm. Have you heard much discussion on that, Jake? And if you haven't, no problem. I just, I'm curious. No, I haven't heard much discussion on that, okay. but um, I, I have thought about it. Okay. Because that smoke coming out of Canada could have been good and it could have been bad. Right now, based on the information that we're looking at, it's it appears good. that it was good. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, you know, I don't necessarily know why, if it helps suppress temperatures at a critical time, something of that nature. 
But um, I'm with you, Chip, and, and you're not alone, by the way. I mean, and I think the yeah. the, the farmers being undersold right now in this crop is is telling us that we're right. not alone. Right. Uh, and so that that is a factor that uh, I don't think anybody, at least on, in the street, when I say the street, you know, professional traders were, yeah. were looking at um, that. Boy, exactly. We should probably take a peek at that looking forward here. OK, so weather, weather is a potential disruptor in 2024, 2025. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you look at all the geopolitical issues that we've got going out there right now, Jake, it, it, it feels like, it feels like hot spots could, could explode at any time. Yeah, it certainly does. And, you know, I think they have exploded. And what's, what's, what's interesting here is that um, war breaking out isn't necessarily bullish for grains. And I say that because in hindsight being 2020, we saw war break, break out between Russia and Ukraine and, and prices spiked because of the uncertainty. And I think the market was right to try to figure out what would the price of wheat be if the Black Sea shuts down and no grain can escape the Black Sea. Well, of course, grain continued to get out of the Black Sea yeah. and, and Russian wheat is um, you know, more important to the market right now than, than Ukraine wheat. Russian exports are 24% of you know the market for wheat, where Ukraine is, uh, I think they're below 10% now. So mm -hmm. um, Russian wheat is getting out. And by the way, ask the Eastern European countries, Poland, right. you were talking about this in the open, you know, is, is war breaking out in Ukraine bullish for grain? Not in that local market. <laughs> yeah. Right. So <laughs> not if you're um, in Poland, it's not. Yeah, not if you're in Poland. So I would just say that, that war creates volatility. You know, these geopolitical disruptions can create dislocations in the market. But it's not a binary on-off bullish bearish switch. Um, yeah. In fact, you could you could point to a scenario where if, if war stopped right now, the prices you know might might go up. So yeah. um, it's a it's an interesting thing when you look at the geopolitics. Right. Okay, uh, the uncertainty is tough. Okay, so we we've covered a lot of ground, but I think you, we can go just a little bit further with this because if we break it down to what drives the ETS, what drives the markets, you got to look at which direction the money is coming from and where it's where it's going to. And you look at the Dow right now is up more than 100 points. The S&P 500 is basically steady. The NASDAQ is trading just a bit lower. It's not even, not even a quarter of a point lower at this point. Um, but equities seem to be where the money is headed, right? Uh, you got it, sir. You know, the you've heard it. Trend is your friend. Yep. Okay. And so uh, the, the trend in 2023 was for, for stocks to move up, commodities to go down. And, and that seems to be continuing right now. Um, and I think as uh, Todd Bubba Horowitz says, you know, the prices will continue to go up until they don't. Until they don't. Um, and that's, that's what we're seeing here. And I think, you know, Chip, just to take a, a step back, because a lot of people that I speak with uh, are still feeling the pain from inflation and, and high prices and so yeah. forth. And, and I think it's really important when you're looking at the market right now and you think back to our experience with inflation, this is, in my opinion, market inflation. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and you can draw a line back to the COVID stimulus money. Yep. that was put directly into consumers' pocketbooks, okay? Consumers then spent that money. And remember, during lockdowns, you know, a few things were open, okay? So there's too much money 
chasing too few goods. That's the definition of inflation, too much money chasing too few goods. But now that money's all been spent. And that money having been spent is now in the pockets of the ownership class, okay, yeah. or the well-paid executives and managers that, you know, run companies that sell the goods that consumers bought, right? So that that class of, of citizens, they have net savings. And they put those savings not under the mattress. Typically, they put that in the right. stock market. Right. So now you have too much money in the stock market. In the case of NVIDIA, for example, chasing too few shares outstanding. Yep. And and who knows what the fundamentals of NVIDIA should be? I mean, they make you know graphic processing units for AI technology. I mean, how do, right. you, how do you put a valuation on that, right? But we can look at the commodity market and say, boy, it's not 2021, 2022 anymore. There's plenty of commodities available. And so we have the opposite scenario in commodities. There's there's enough commodities here. It, we seem to have plenty. Whereas in, in stocks, that's where we see the inflation right now. Um, now, that could very well shift, and it could shift based on technicals, not necessarily the fundamentals. Um, yep. And for that, you know, take your cues on, on crude oil. When we're talking commodity markets, most investors are, are a lot more familiar with crude right. oil than they are with corn and soybeans. Right. And so if that... You know, money starts to shift and going into the energy markets. Um, that could be a signal that, hey, maybe the grains are going to get a look too now, uh, yeah. especially if, if Jake Ketchum is doing his job, then uh, <laughs> they will. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jake, if we want to learn more about uh, the ETFs, where do we go? Uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, at Tukrium ETFs or Tukrium.com. That's T-E-U-C-R-I-U-M.com. Got it. Good stuff, Jake. Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, Chip. Have a great day. Yep. Jake Hanley, Tucrium ETFs. We got Kerry Artek next. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. In the morning, you're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. And we are about to wrap up the first day of Agritalk this week. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us. That is Davis Michelson. Yo. Are you there? Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. We got Davis Michelson, and yeah. it is Monday. That's time to bring in Kerry Artak, Artak Advisory. Hey, Kerry, how you doing? Hey, Chip, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing real fine, real fine. Uh, don't forget, listeners, you can go to artacadvisory.com, A-R-T-A-C, advisory.com, and Carrie will get you started on a free trial. All right, Carrie, get us started. Where are we going first? March soybeans. Okay. Uh, you know, in, in early January, uh, about a month ago, uh, the market closed below for the first time a three-year rising channel bottom on the weekly chart that is presently at 1263 and, and three quarter. That is well above the market. We've been falling ever since, but 
Uh, the three to five month objective is 1090 even, essentially. Uh, we're not there yet. We're getting snagged right now at the 2021 low of 1181 and a quarter. We've been bottoming out that for the last week. From 1181 and a quarter, we could round back up to 1263 and three quarter, perhaps over the next month or two. I don't see any inclination for that. I would if we settled this week above 1222 even. Then we've got a two to three week pop to the upside, 1263 and three quarters, still offering a short sale hedge setting opportunity as we move through spring, because below which 1090 even is calling, so to speak. And if we close this week below 1181 and a quarter, which is considered an eventuality, given that big picture sell signal, I would expect then 1090 even within a month or two, by the end of April at the latest, where the broader soybean market can actually bottom out. Uh, through the year, actually, uh, on to feeder cattle. March contract settled 248.82 today. Uh, a few weeks ago, late January, we settled above uh, meaningful resistance at 241.20. That is our floor of support and above which a three to five month buy signal, just the opposite of soybeans. A three to five month buy signal remains in effect, expecting that 30 year channel top again at 266.75 over the next three to five months. Uh, we came very close to testing that last September and fell away from it significantly. Uh, the accelerator to the upside for uh, testing 266 and three quarters sooner than later would be a settlement this week above 253.17. That is a two month rising channel top that we keep testing over the last few weeks and falling away from if we close Friday above 253.17. I do think by the end of March, we could test 266.75 where an annual high can be placed once again. Downside, if we happen to close back below 241.20, I do see that as a good winter high. We should then continue south over the next couple of months to 219.20. Now, 219.20 is a three-year channel bottom we actually tested in December and have rallied off of nicely. And uh, just in terms of the big, big picture for feeder cattle, I see no reason to be bearish long term. That is to say, through the rest of the year, the broader feeder cattle market, unless we were to actually close below that 219.20 mark. And once again, I don't expect to see that unless we close this week below 241.20. And then I would say by the end of March. And finally, cotton. Uh, what a rally in cotton. Man. The May contract settled 9130. I see holding above 8890, which is a couple of points below present price levels. 8890 can contain selling into March trade and above which there is a long-term price ceiling at 95.51. That is a two and a half year channel top. I've got it illustrated uh, for my subscribers on page two of the cotton letter. 95.51 may well contain buying through the rest of the year. And it is considered a three to five week target right now. We just might see that with present volatility by the end of next week. 95.51 one able to contain annual buying pressures from there by the end of the year we could fall all the way back into the mid 70s if we were to close any week above 9551 that's a significant buy signal that should over the following i'll say three to five months yield the 113 to 115 area downside okay. if we close back below 8890 this week it puts out a good high through March over the next three to five weeks, 84.64, where we could bottom out into April trade. It is very stair-step on the way down. We would need to close below 84.64 to then indicate the mid-70s again within several months. So I think that pretty much rounds it out, Chip. Okay. All right. Excellent. Good work, Kerry. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Sure, you have a great day. You too. You too. Kerry Artak, Artak Advisory. Go to artechadvisory.com, get signed up 
for that uh, that free trial. You know, even when the the low end numbers that he's giving us on the feeder cattle side of things, the two nineteen, mm-hmm. <laughs> it two nineteen is still a big number in feeder cattle. It's it's nowhere close to the highs. I get that, but it it's amazing how the technical analysis is lining up with mm-hmm. the fundamentals of that market mm-hmm. and uh, kind of showing us the way that that we can stick a low in this in feeder cattle relatively quickly if we do see some kind of a setback that comes into the market it's well crazy crazy and market. ultimately manage to make a profit too eventually i think would probably right. be ideal yeah uh, there you go there you go for the cow calf guy no question about it. No question. All right. Uh, let's jump out to the uh, National Weather Service. Bro, Six speedo weather. Outlook. Speedo <laughs> weather in Alaska, but but it's fleeting, Chip. <laughs> fleeting speedo weather in Alaska. Yeah, above normal temperatures in Alaska, especially over there on the West Coast. I don't know how much, you know, mosquito weather or or speedo weather that is. Oh, yeah, you don't but, want the two. No, not no, at the same time. no. We've got below normal temperatures in the forecast for North Dakota, South Dakota, Northeast Nebraska, most of Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Northern Illinois, and Michigan. The rest of the Corn Belt is looking at near normal temperatures for February 18th through the 22nd. Above normal precipitation, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Southern Minnesota, Iowa, most of Missouri, Illinois, Indiana. So near normal to below normal temperatures and above normal on the precipitation. And then the warmth starts to come back in out of the southwest. Above normal temperatures in the 8 to 14 day for February 20th through the 26th. We're looking at above normal temperatures, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, southern half of Illinois, and points to the south and west of that. And then near normal to above normal, above normal rains out in the eastern belt. Hey, I've got to be on the road tomorrow. Michelle Rook and Davis will keep the conversation going here on AgriTalk.